from Atlanta, where we have a very loose definition of the term public safety. It's the Whole World Improv Theater podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell and a man whose morning ritual is pressing the snooze button until 10 o'clock, John Mihalik. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whole World Improv Theater, the podcast. My name is John Mihalik, and today we have two great guests for our season two education. Here is my co-host, the legendary artistic director of mm-hmm. Whole World Theater, Mr. Chip Powell. Hey, everybody. We're very excited because we have Jeffrey Umberger and Brian Brimmer with us today. And the reason that I was excited to get you guys on is because at the top of the pandemic, you know, John wasn't doing so well. And he decided to take time off. He just wanted to kind of do something. He wasn't sure where he was going to go, what he was going to do. And I said, we need to sign up for a Sketchworks class. So we actually, at the height of the pandemic, we went online with Sketchworks and we brought about five other people with us. Mm -hmm. And as a team here, we learn to write sketch. And I mean, we've done it before, but we wanted to get the education on how to do it, how to be effective with it, how to brainstorm. And we got a lot of great ideas out of it. And out of that class, when we came back together, John jumped back into improv and then came to me and said, why don't we do a podcast? And I was like, oh my God, that would be fantastic. So Sketchworks kind of re-inspired him, but also it gave me a chance to change directions and still jump into education with other students and members of our apprentice cast and kind of get things going. So just to tell our audience about the origins of Sketchworks to start with, I think they would be really interested to hear that. Oh, sure. You know, uh... Gosh, Sketchworks right now is celebrating its 20th anniversary. It was started actually by Jen Kelly, who is now the casting director at Big Picture Casting. She was a talent agent at People Store, and then now she's a casting director. And while she was at People Store, I actually worked uh, in the film and TV department at People Store, and Jeffrey was the voiceover agent at People Store. I, I don't know how we all got there, but we all got there. And, you know, as part of the diversifying in your career so you can develop a strong career in the entertainment industry. We all came from the acting background, and I am still a voice actor and was a voice actor then, but Jen had Sketchworks, Jen and Bob and Della. You remember Bob and Della? Oh, yeah. You got to remember, yeah. So they actually started Sketchworks with Mike Styles. This would have been around 2000, I guess. And I was actually doing a radio sketch comedy program for a lady that was producing it in Marietta. Jen Kelly came to see that show and I was emceeing the show, but I was also doing a lot of my characters like Chinester Merriweather and different characters that ended up being in Sketchwork. And she saw me and she came up to me afterwards and she said, you're going to be in Sketchworks. So they invited me and I had to audition for Bob and Della and Jen, which is very funny now that I think about it, but I did and brought some of my writing and they brought me on as a producing member. So I was not a founding member, but I came in pretty much in the second year and was a producing member and worked with Jen and Bob and Della for 12, 13 years, developing the education program, producing, I think we did five shows a year, which sketch, as you know, you have to write the shows. So there's a lot of downtime between the shows. So we were putting up about, I guess, five main stage shows a year. Jeffrey came on right after that because he's hilarious. And he actually came on as the assistant sound designer to Dave Barry. And because I remember you were up in the the doorbell. You were the doorbell. (laughs) But I had written a sketch because my grandmother died. (laughs) It was so funny. She died. Hilarious. 
it was so funny. And there was this whole thing where she thought before she died that my dad was her brother, Hoyt. And so the last time my dad went to see her in the nursing home, she kept saying, Hoyt, Hoyt, is that you, Hoyt? Hoyt? Well, anyway, so I wrote this sketch called Dancing Granny because I had this idea that my grandmother, she died in the nursing home, but that when she died, she actually danced. Like she died and she got up and danced and she was free. That was the whole idea. So we wrote this sketch and I wanted Jeffrey to play the grandma character to play Granny. So he did. And of course, Jeffrey, you know, I'll let you talk about this, but basically Jeffrey will take a script and he sort of makes it his own. So he doesn't really, <laughs> he doesn't really do the words necessarily, but he oh, came God. up with this, <laughs> but they're always funnier than anything you could possibly write because he's kind of dyslexic. I'm sorry, but you know, you, he'll reverse things and say, that's what it is. So he'll reverse things. And so he created this character of Grammy. And then, of course, you know, Granny dies and he gets up and does this dance. And that character of the dancing Granny in the negligee nightgown with no pants on and the Norman Bates mother wig became an iconic member of the cast for years. I, I still think about that to this day. And that shit <laughs> me up. I think it was like right before convention or something. And so it would be like, oh yeah, my, right. These guys are fucking wacky and I love them. Yeah. I don't know if I can get this image out of my mind now. I'm not oh, sure if that's a good thing. We'll have to find a video of it, Mike. Oh, sure John and, and yeah. But those that was our heyday with sketchworks. You know, me with Chinester Merriweather, Je Jeffrey with Dance and Granny. And of course, we were writing and we wrote together and I taught. Jeffrey didn't necessarily, I don't think you necessarily taught, but he would come in and guest with the students to talk about being a main stage cast member. And so we helped develop the education system for sketchworks as it went on. And it's still running really, really strong, basically under the umbrella of kind of how we structured it. And, you know, we started it because we wanted to bring in cast members. And our idea was we would bring the cast members through the education system. And that way we could kind of bring people up and like pick the cream of the crop for the main stage. Yeah. I don't know if you guys do it that way. Oh, yeah. you know, and their end goal always was to kind of get on the main stage. And the ones that did, some of them are still there now. Yeah. And we yeah. followed a lot of your model, Chip. I mean, you and Leah were our best advocates in the very beginning. Oh, we yeah. used to do a, a matinee, John, on Sunday, just for Whole World Theater. Well, we did a Sunday matinee and Whole World started coming. Like the whole group would come to the matinee. Yeah, and many amazing. Sundays, they were the only people yeah. there. So <laughs> it was, that was, it was the only the sketch works. Leah's truck would pull up, she would open the hatchback, right. and she would have a cooler full of Tito's. drinks and cornhole. Uh -huh. And cornhole. <laughs> Tito's and we would do the show and then oh, both yeah. casts would go out in the parking lot and just party for hours and hours so those that are great really memories special. and, and yeah, those were only so cool. for you it's the only reason we did the matinee yeah, right. in, in the early days nobody came to Scottsdale yeah. for a matinee at one o'clock yeah. on a Sunday we, we couldn't so. stop the Sunday shows after that because that that was it was for y'all it was for you guys that's right <laughs> except we did have one show we were about to do it and kelly got a dui and didn't show up and we had no way of replacing her so i think we did cancel that show oh uh, those were the days those were the days pass outing hold on mm -hmm. Wait. <laughs> major support for whole world improv theater is provided by the atlanta mayor's office of cultural affairs the sweetest smelling office of cultural affairs in the world. The education program that we developed, though, it's still in place and intact. And, you know, there's a writing component and there's an acting component. 
-hmm. the acting component really just deals with creating characters. And what I always found is because now, you know, I'm a voiceover actor now and I teach at Atlanta voiceover studio and I teach animation. And it's funny because I'm using the exact same program we developed for character development at Sketchworks to teach people how to create the animated characters. It's so similar. There's energy level differences and there's technique level differences because you're not dealing with the visual. You don't see the person, you know, you're not dealing with subtleties of expression, but the character development is exactly the same. Everything that we teach in comedy, you guys, I think it's really just fundamental acting and fundamental character development. It could be applied to really any kind of medium. And what do you think your top five teaching points are when it comes to just the basics of acting? I always say take improv. Any actor period, it's always you've got to take improv. That's yeah, the, that's it's, it's one of it has to be number one, I think. Yeah, um, I tell people this. I just want to interject that. No, no, please go. And also I tell people that too. And I tell them, you know, it's not about being funny. It's about creating that moment with a partner, building that believable moment in an imaginary situation. When I start teaching acting classes, I steal from Meisner and I break it right down to what he said, which is very simply acting is creating a believable moment in an imaginary situation. Yeah. But that's a lot harder to do than people think, you know, it does take skill and talent and learning. But I do the same thing. I tell them to take an improv class. Nothing else loosens you up like that and frees you up. For example, the dyslexia, creating a character, I didn't set out to do that, of course. But in improv, you do discover things like that, that are your veins of gold of the future. You know, the accidental veins of gold that you discover in improv, and it allows you to think outside the expectations. It's just to me, you yeah. can tell some actors who've had improv backgrounds or involved in ongoing in improv. I think it should be an ongoing thing because improv certainly exposes something brand new every time you do it. So actors... I always say it's a tool. It's something every actor has to have in their toolkit. And every yep. form of acting, whether it's on camera for film and TV, whether it's the theater or even voiceover, even in commercial voiceover, although it's more rare because those scripts are so set in stone because they go through legal, but you'll still be in a session and the creative director will be like, hey, can you just riff on that a little bit? We're not happy with how we wrote that line like how would you say it <laughs> so you know so improv carries over into every single form and aspect of acting well and jeffrey running an agency cannot be easy i'm always telling because i have actors that work in all different fields some are working yeah. for film some are working for stage some are working for voiceover what is the difference some are working at stuckies um <laughs> And making good tips right now. Making better money than me. Uh, I get some just on camera performers that come in. And I'm like, you got to fill the room. Like, and they don't understand that. What do you think like the difference between on stage, on camera or voiceover? Like what's the difference in the acting performance? Well, if you take the visual, you can picture someone in front of a mic, but you don't hear that on the radio. And so what I'm doing with my body now you have to do that with your voice. You have to raise your eyebrow with your voice only. That's not seen. The body language has to come through your voice. So that's kind of laying a lot of things on the voice actor to convey while you're performing. You have to do the shoulder shrug with your voice. You have to be a brute uh, with your voice. You can't put on a costume. You have to put on the idea that the lights went out in the theater, but you still have to perform. So <laughs> I think the first thing is that you have to do so much with your voice to convey the story. Story is always the most important thing. And number two, you have to be able to do it in a certain amount of time. So the constriction of that kind of bottles you in, but yet it can also kind of contain you. But learning that 15 second feel or that 60 second commercial feel, some things you can push, some things you cannot. Usually with on camera, 
they'll just let you go and you have a scene, you have an hour and a half to film the love scene, you know, but in commercial, especially voiceover, it's so timed that you've got to learn that skill of timing plus sounding like you're not rushing it to get it in 15 seconds. And thirdly is to pull from something that makes you sound different. It's funny, Brian and I just discovered this person um, explaining what a voice actor should do instead of saying, following the specs, you know, which say, friendly, authoritative, or comforting, whatever, you have to imagine what your voice makes the listener feel rather than following the rule of, like. yeah, it's funny yeah. because if, if you picture yourself in your car, or, you know, you're listening to streaming and something that you're hearing in a commercial stops you or makes you think something, that actor should have made you feel that way. The writing should have too as well. But the actor should have done something that made you feel that way. And that should have been intentional. They should have intended to make you feel comforted, intended to make you feel right. woozy, whatever it is. So that's a uplifted. trick uh, that's hard for, yeah, uplifted. That's hard for an actor to do well. So those things are really, it really takes training and really takes practice, uh, continual time and time like drinking and you, know. and you know and all the acting is you know our mentor our teacher steve coulter said a long time ago acting is acting you know the, the fundamental is that you have to communicate and you have to communicate an emotion of feeling to another person but with all the different forms of acting from theater to film and tv to voiceover to other forms you have to learn the technique of that particular medium so i find like when i'm dealing with actors like you were saying chip who were coming from the film and tv world and they're trying to get into the voiceover world or even get on stage the biggest way that I'm able to help them is to get them to understand the concept of proximity. Like how close is the eye of your audience to you? They're used to being on film where like you're this close because that's how the camera has you framed. So the other person is like right here, like not even a foot from you. In voiceover, same thing. The proximity is usually right here. It's a private conversation. So, you know, you don't project. And then on the stage, of course, you have to speak to that lady on the fifth row or the 10th row. But what Jeffrey was just saying, this was a creative director said this, Jeffrey, and we both kind of took note of it, even though we're actors and we're always having a conversation and intentionally doing something to another person, the different technique of the different types of acting in voice acting, the way we get direction is, oh, we want a voice that's trustworthy and caring. Okay, we want a voice that's kind and compassionate. So voice actors specifically get in their head, okay, I have to sound kind. I have to sound compassionate. I have to sound authoritative. So you'll trust me, which is kind of, and this, this copywriter was saying, it's kind of our fault because we put it out like that. But when we write those things, we're really saying we want our listener to feel they can trust. We want our listener to feel comforted. And so I've been telling all my voice acting students since we heard that Oxenus a couple of weeks ago, you know, stop thinking so much about how you sound and think about how you're making your listener feel. You know, in voice acting, we always say you're talking to one person. So you pick that one person. How do you want that person to feel? Forget about how you sound. Voice acting is not about having a great voice. It's about doing great things with your voice. All voices are welcome. You know, you can have the deep like Morgan Freeman, James Earl Jones kind of voice or not. You can still be a voice actor if you know how to do great things with your voice. It translates to on stage too. How do you want to make your audience feel? So even in yeah. improv or even in a scene, in a movie, in a film or on stage, you want to make the audience member feel something. You don't want to perform a feeling. You want to make them feel something from your performance. Right. Yeah, it's almost like you take your laser of energy and you're actually zapping the other person with it and not shining the light on you. That's the idea. That's why we communicate. But so many actors think, oh, I've got to, they get so self-conscious about how, how they look or how they sound and, and how they're performing and how they're emulating that performance. And I'm not saying that it's simple because it's not easy, but all you have to do is listen and then 
give to the other person. You know, I mean, you have to give to the other person. It's not about shining the light on you. You shine the light on the other person. That's yeah. how we yeah. how we all sit around the table at parties and talk. You know, even if we're telling a story and we're kind of showboating because we're being funny or whatever, we're making you laugh. It's about making the other person in the room feel a certain way. Hey, you've been listening to people talk about improv, so why not try it yourself? Whole World Improv Theater has in-person improv classes for beginners and seasoned actors alike. No prior experience is needed. Our class program is eight weeks long and full of people just like you who want to learn and have a lot of fun. Just check out our website to learn more or sign up. The website is wholeworldtheater.com. And that's theater with an R-E at the end because we're fancy. You know, we're co-teaching a workshop. It's only three weeks, but with our apprentice cast, and we've been really honing in on the start of a scene. Like, it's not a joke. You're not trying to get a laugh. You're trying to make a connection. You know, a student might start with I or me, and we're like, stop right there. You're not even close to making that about your partner. And some of, they love it. But then again, that's also can be sometimes frustrating to get side coaching while you're trying to perform. We've done like weeks and weeks and weeks of intense workshops on Wednesday nights with the actors because we've got about 44 companies. So we're rotating them in and out of spaces. So there's separation, there's space, and there's all this, but they're really learning a lot more now than I think ever before, because we've got so many good instructors with us right now. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. That's cool. So you have 40 people that are rotating. What gets them in and out of a rotation? If they're in the apprentice cast and if they're in the main cast, if you're in main cast, your main objective is to come in on Wednesdays and either guide or like I'm in development for the next three workshops. So those folks have brought their ideas to me. So we'll structure those as to what they'll be taught. And then the students are broken up into three groups, which are the apprentice cast, which like you say, homegrown talent. We took those people from the class programs. We've placed them into apprentice casts. The rotation for them is not only coming in on Wednesday and let's say one week they're working on musical. Next week, they'll be with John and I. And then the following week, they'll be over with David learning dialects or accents. And then we change up the whole structure and they rotate again. So our apprentice cast members are also our crew. So they train on light, sound, camera, stage managing, house managing, will call. So they train on those shifts and then they rotate in and out three shifts a month so that they have their eyes on the show and they have a full understanding of how the company works and runs every weekend. Cool. That's brilliant. It's so important to know all that, all of it. (laughs) Every bit of it is a peg in the wheel. I want to come learn from you guys. <laughs> I know. Quite right. seriously. You need to know if you have a permit for your personal laser of energy, though. Uh, no, it's not <laughs> permitted. It's not permitted, and neither is our guest bathroom. Okay. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Only two dozen people listen to this podcast. <laughs> oh, good. That's good to know. That's <laughs> a really good I was saying proximity, but also that sense of place. Dealing in voice acting, especially, it's so funny. When I always think an actor should be able to be on stage. An actor should be able to be a film actor, you know, understand the proximity of the camera. Because it's just like turning the dial down on how big or small you are, just to simplify. And that an actor should then also be able to explore voiceover and figure out what that is. Because that's just proximity to the mic. 
But it's not true. And it's not that every actor can't learn to do it if you have the fundamental you know, acting ability, because it is just learning technique. But I found some actors just don't want to. Like, that's just not the medium that they're attracted to or drawn to. I'll have some film actors come and take my voiceover class, for example, and they're like, I need to explore this because my agent has a voiceover division too, and why not, and just see. And they realize that it's actually a little more of a theatrical medium, you know, than film acting. Like, it's a little bigger, and it's a little bit broader. It still has to be, number one, authentic and honest. That's the biggest word I tell any actor I'm teaching is, let's find the honesty in what you're doing, whatever the form is. But for some of the film actors, it's just too extroverted sometimes. And, and, And I've had film actors who are, Excellent film actors who are in every project you ever see come and take my voiceover workshop. And at the end of it, they'll come up to me and go, no, that's just, this is not for me. They don't like being confined in the booth. They don't like not having anyone else there to interact with, having to completely create that sense of place and do their work as an actor because there's no sets, there's no costumes, there's there's no other actor. I mean, you're really always just working by yourself. So it's the same, I guess, with stage and film. If I had my preferences... I would just work on stage all the time. I miss being on stage so much. It's where a lot of us got started. I think about all the time, just like trying to go out and do a legit, because, you know, Jeffrey and I retired from Sketchworks a few years ago because his agency just went boom, boom. And my career in voiceover really started demanding my attention. But once in a while, we go back and we do guests and it's so much fun to be on that stage again. And lately, especially during the pandemic, I've really been missing that interaction with the audience and just being on stage again. So I hope we can get back on stage soon. But not every actor wants to do everything. And it's okay if an actor doesn't want to do a particular type of performing. You know, find what you're successful in and what you love to do. That's really what you have to follow. It's been great having people back in the building. We did a lot of stuff online, but you just don't get that, you know, feel, the energy that comes from an audience. And uh, there was this uh, group of Dunwoody housewives that were drunk as (laughs) fuck. (laughs) <laughs> and they were all like, and the one lady just kept talking to me while the season was, yeah, I was like, ma'am, I know yeah. out of Dunwoody and you don't have any kids tonight, but you need to come down. She's like, you hate me. <laughs> while the scenes are going on these other people around you paid for a ticket you need to be respectful okay and i got off stage and i looked at somebody and went oh first heckler oh my god i'm so excited <laughs> we've got a heckler again oh like, god, that is so exciting wow <laughs> And then she talked to me after the show. She stayed for the late show and full <laughs> on fell asleep and slept through the whole show. Oh, oh Lord. Oh, Boy, I do miss those days. <sighs> Jeffrey, we got to get back on stage. I want to fall asleep. And then, <laughs> I just want to sleep. I like her style. Jeffrey used to fall asleep backstage. To point out to all of our future patrons and potential patrons that <laughs> we will not put you to sleep. We have the best show in town. We do love Dunwoody, and all Dunwoody women are not representative of future patrons. John. We love drunk Dunwoody housewives. We do, don't we? This is part of my job. I let him do most of the interview, and then I throw. And then you have to issue the disclaimers. Disclaimers. Disclaimer, John. We'll have to get out and see a show soon. (laughs) You guys are inspiring us to want to get out there again and get back on stage too. I've actually been thinking a lot lately that it would be good for us, you and me, honey, to get back on stage together and do some funny stuff. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Join us next week as we continue our conversation with Jeffrey Umberger and Brian Bremer. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Podcast. 
and keep enjoying that new podcast smell. The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and generalissimo for life is Chip Powell. The producer, writer, and everything else is John Mahalik. Every Everything else? What, what the hell does that even mean? Original music by The Gentle Readers. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. John's therapist said it would be good for him to receive some validation, so don't let him down. Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it's tax deductible, so you're not only supporting the arts, but you're sticking it to the man. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And never send John to Starbucks. I'm still waiting on my venti mocha latte mochaccino foya rosca uh, mocha chocolata. Marmalade drink. I don't know. I panic every time I pull up to the window. I don't know about you guys. Is that weird? Like, I feel like I should have it down by now, but I don't. It's been a long time. It's just, like one of these days. I'll say it smoothly. I won't stutter. <sighs> I know there's a size up from um, Benti, and it's always a bad idea. Don't do it. You'll be shaking for the next two days. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. I think another important thing with actors is, you know, is, um, oh, sorry, Chip, I totally interrupted you and I didn't mean to, but you're, you're cutting kind of in and out. So I just saw your head going like this and then That's realized you were probably talking. all it was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I got the shakes. <laughs> oh, I got the shakes too, man. I got them bad.